Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, uh, to Revelation chapter 19. We are going to be reading this morning verses 1 through 10, and I would ask that you would, if you're able, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we look at the Word that He has given to us through His servant John in Revelation 19. Church, hear the Word of the Lord. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his saints. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him, But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, um, open our eyes. Um, You are a beautiful, amazing, holy, perfect God. And we are seeing a glimpse into the heavens, uh, uh, just a command to praise you, to say hallelujah. Lord, I just pray that in my weakness and my inability, that I'm able at some level by the help of your spirit to convey uh, the beauty of what is here in this text. Father, lead us, guide us, direct us. Father, make these words sit in our heart. Lord, help us to sit under your word, to be submitted to your word, to hear its rebuke and its correction, but also its encouragement to us as your people. Father, for those that are here that are not your people, we're glad they're here. I pray, Lord, you would speak to them as well, that you would help them to see you, that you would help their eyes to see you, uh, help them to feel your love through your people, um, even on this day, we pray. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, question, how many of you grew up in the 80s and 90s? I raised my hand. It's okay. You can admit it. So those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s, um, or you were alive in the 80s and 90s, that's okay too, I guess. Um, for those of you here who understand that, you know that the 80s and 90s was like the great era of the action movie, like the action star. Um, you, if you grew up in those, you know names like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal and Harrison Ford before he was 85. Um, like Harrison Ford when he was in all those action movies and Bruce Willis. And, and, and if you grew up in those times, Um, You know, one, we were really grateful for TV filtering. We could watch those movies on Sunday night with all the filtering and and still enjoy those. Um, But you also know the general theme of all of those action flicks. 
Um, they were pretty consistent. Like there wasn't a lot of like variety in those movies. Um, and yet as a kid, like I loved them. Uh, and, and those stories tended to go like this. Uh, they tended to kind of open up and give you a glimpse of these these people, these stars, whether it was Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone in kind of their homes or whatever it was. And then as the story progressed, you would get introduced to the villain of the story. And as the, the, the villain is introduced, you also get to see his henchmen. And there was always a right-hand man for the villain, like the, the, the guy that was usually like German and had long blonde hair or something like that. Um, and so what would happen is the villain would come in. Sometimes you'd get a backstory. Um, sometimes you wouldn't. But the villain would at some level interfere with the hero's life. Like he would kidnap his wife or his wife would get stuck in some kind of like store with the villain or something like that or kidnap a kid. And, and the hero, who just seemed to be an average normal person except for the fact that his biceps were bigger than all of our heads, like would suddenly go into like, like defeat all the villain mode, right? And what would happen is the story uh, would, would continue and the hero would walk like butter through all of the henchmen until they get to the right-hand man. And then you get this huge fight with the right-hand man and then ultimately you go defeat the villain. And then they're reunited with whoever it was that, that they, were, they were parted from at some point in the movie. And you say, well, what does this have to do with Revelation chapter 19? Well, in some respects, I think we're seeing something similar. And in many ways, they're not similar. So don't take the analogy too far. But similar in a sense of what has been taking place. If you remember all the way back in Revelation chapter 12, we were seeing this cosmic story taking place. We were getting kind of this heavenly view of this cosmic like drama. And so we saw on the stage come this woman, and this woman was pregnant, and she was going to have this baby, and there was a dragon that wanted to kill the woman, and ultimately wanted to, to devour the baby. But the baby, the hero of the story, survives the dragon's attempt to destroy him. And ultimately, he defeats the dragon, right? And so the dragon gets furious. And the dragon turns his attention to the people of God, right? And this is that cosmic battle that we've seen. And so he wants to destroy the people of God. And then as the story continues, we see on the stage or in the movie, however you want to think about it, we see kind of the henchmen of the main villain, Right? So, so think about how the process works. Like You start with the dragon, introduction to the dragon, and then you get the, the, the first beast, the beast of the sea. And the beast of the sea we've talked about as the representation of, of these governmental powers that seek to persecute the church. And we've talked about how like, that's been consistent since Jesus went up into heaven and is likely going to one day um, be fulfilled in some great manifestation against the church as the end times come. And then we see the second beast, the false prophet, the beast of the sea. And this beast is also going to come. These are antichrists and false prophets seeking to turn people's worship away from God, right? Uh, and and so again, we talked about how those antichrists, they're here right now, but we likely see that they're going to come in greater form in the future, a greater manifestation, maybe a signal or a single antichrist one day in the days ahead. And then we got the fourth villain, and the fourth villain was Babylon the Great, the great prostitute that rode on the back of the beast. And we've been talking about her, and we've been talking about how we as the church are to come out of her and to be faithful and how we're to live faithfully. And so we've seen that, but then in, in chapter 17, we begin to see this reverse order. So on the stage, you see the dragon, 
First beast, second beast, Babylon. Now in chapter 17, we see the declaration of fallen, fallen is Babylon, and, and that the beast is going to turn because of God's sovereign power upon the, the, the Babylon or the prostitute. And now we begin a season in Revelation in verses in chapters 19 and 20 where you're seeing the opposite reversal and removal of those villains. So we're going to start with Babylon being removed, and then we're going to see the beasts, the two beasts being removed, the false prophet and the first beast. And then finally, in Revelation 19, the dragon is removed. And so they come on the stage, and then they come off the stage, removed from the stage by the hero of the story. And this is what we're seeing happen in this. And so we're watching this. And if you remember in chapter 18, we saw from a worldly perspective, as Babylon falls, everything that is happening to the world and how everybody's like, whoa, is us. And man, we can't live in this luxury and this, 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 this greed and, and these pleasures anymore. Like that's been removed from us. And so the world is lamenting that. There's no merriment in the world and then what we see in Revelation 19, chapter, or verse 1, is we see a shift. And John has his eyes turned from the earth because he hears something in heaven. And, and look what he sees. And let's go back to chapter 19, verse 1 through 13. He says, after this, after I saw everything that was happening in the earth as a response to the removal of the first villain... After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. What were you looking at today? is not some theoretical pie-in-the-sky truth that is given to us to kind of hope in. This is something given to us now to stir up in us, to stir in our hearts as God's people a great hallelujah, to join the great hallelujah in heaven. Now, who is it that is singing hallelujah or saying hallelujah? Well, it's the voice of the grace multitude. These are the saints in heaven, believers of every generation, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, those that we saw in chapter 7 who were coming out of the great tribulation. They're crying, hallelujah. And we say that word a lot in church. You know, it's interesting that this is the only time in the New Testament the word hallelujah is ever spoken, is in Revelation. It's primarily used as in the Psalms, and hallelujah comes from a Hebrew word that is a command. It's an imperative. You know what the imperative, imperative is? Praise the Lord. We are being told from heaven a declaration, not only a declaration, but a command. Like, join with us in praising God. Praise the Lord. Now, why? Why is this multitude praising the Lord, and why should this stir in our hearts a praise of God? Why does it do that? Well, first, we see in this text that hopelessness is ended. 
Go back to verses 1 and 2. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice, the great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Look at the words with me. This, why is it that we are speaking in emphatic praise? Why is it that we should praise? It's because salvation and glory and power belong to our God. They don't belong to anyone else. Let's just sit there for a second. Salvation belongs to our God, not to anyone else. Glory belongs to our God, not to anyone else. Power belongs to our God, not to anyone else. Now, why is this important for us? Well, I think it's partly important because is it not true that in our lives, those three things are called into question daily for the world? Like, they're called into question because the villains and Babylon, they've done what? They've corrupted the earth. They've corrupted it with their immorality. And she's been responsible for the blood of the saints. Like, let me help us put this into some perspective. I don't know if you've ever heard of the website Cora. Cora is a relatively new thread, social media type website. Cora uh, is essentially a, a website that allows people to sign in, and millions of people are on this, and they can ask a question and then let other people on the website answer the question. One of the top questions that comes up over and over and over again by thousands and thousands and thousands of people across our culture and across our world is something along the veins of, why is the world so broken? Why is the world so messed up? Why am I so hopeless? Why am I so riddled with anxiety? What do I do with this? What do I do with the hopelessness I feel in my life? And then people get on there and they give all kinds of answers to it. But here's why we know they experience that hopelessness. Why we know they experience this brokenness. It's because of the corruption that we see in this text. It's because everything has been corrupted by the dragon and his influence. It's been corrupted by the beasts and their influence. It's been corrupted by the harlot who speaks to the most carnal desires of our corrupted heart. Do you hear a consistent theme? Corrupted, 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 corrupted. It's fascinating when you look at the answers that people give on this website, Quora, about how to deal with these things, how to deal with their anxieties and their discontentments, their dissatisfaction, their midlife crises, their aimlessness that they feel. Answers that the world gives are things like, well, you know what you should do? You should practice self-compassion. Just be easy on yourself. You know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, all is well. You know, soothe those feelings. Open up a window. Go on a walk. Listen to the birds. Go on Pinterest. Be creative. Hold a stress ball. I thought that one was funny. Like, squeeze a stress ball. Listen to some calming music. Read a good book. Follow your values, whatever they are, wherever they lead you. Just do what feels good. Go to the gym, meditate, on and on the list goes. Listen, church, none of that stuff is the answer, is it? Is it? No. 
No, none of that stuff is the answer. And yet that's what the world is putting out. You know what the answer is? Having Babylon, the source of the corruption, taken away. That's the fix. Having the corrupting influences of this world removed. Salvation can't be found in any of that garbage. I'm not saying it's all garbage. I mean, going on a walk is great. Right? But, but salvation can be found in that. Salvation from your sadness, salvation from your broken relationships, from your addictions, from your anger, your vanity, from your feelings of inadequacy, salvation from your distrust of others, salvation from your own enslaving desires and your sins, salvation from the lies of the dragon and his agents. Salvation doesn't belong to any of those things. Salvation belongs to God. That's it. The message of the day is that you don't need salvation. You're just, you're just a random lump of cells. You're just placed here by accident. So live your life, live your truth. You get to decide what that is. And so the answer to hopelessness is turn your aimlessness and hopelessness into yourself. In other words, pursue personal fulfillment, personal pleasure, personal happiness. Like that becomes the ultimate pursuit. You just pursue those things. Get as much as you can while you're here. Isn't it funny that the irony of that is two things. One, pursue it all you want. It will never save you and you will always feel it lacking. Two, the more you pursue your personal pleasure and your personal fulfillment, the more you will naturally trample on the backs of other people and be a hell to them. So it doesn't answer it for you. It may answer it for you. You may get some things. You may get some relief temporarily. But what you're going to be doing is doing it on the backs of other people to get. Because you know why? Because if you're the only thing that matters, you don't care about anybody else. Everyone else is just an object to you. It doesn't matter if you got somebody working in a sweatshop somewhere. As long as you got an iPhone, like it's cool, right? I don't know that that's where they make them. It's just, uh, I don't know, just an analogy. But, but the point is, is you see how it's just a vicious circle. Like you chase that stuff down and it just creates it. Salvation doesn't come by those means. God is the only one who promises to save us from the hopelessness of this world. He is the only one who deserves the glory that so many others are scrambling to attain. He is the only one who has the power to make all things new. Do we long for that? Do you feel the corruption in yourself? Maybe some of y'all aren't quite old enough to start feeling that yet, but I promise you will. Like you feel even your body's breaking down, the corruption that's there. Like, do we not want to see all things being made new? God is the only one that has the power to do that. Salvation, glory, power belong to our God, not to this world. Remember how I said our world calls God's salvation, God's glory, and God's power into question daily. It's because we're still waiting. It looks like the hopelessness of Babylon and corruption is never going to end. I mean, we see in our world, greed seems to be growing, hate seems to be growing, the love of men seems to be growing, or the, I'm sorry, the loss of the love of man seems to be growing, hate seems to be growing, seductions of this world seem so powerful at times, but Revelation 19 tells us 
that she is going to be judged. Babylon's destruction shows us that praise the Lord, it's going to all end. And the corruption is going to be moved. And the hopelessness is going to end. But it goes on from there. We also see that the threat is going to be removed. The second hallelujah, the second thing that says, man, like, not only should you be praising God because you have the hope of seeing hopelessness in, but you should be praising God also because the threat is going to be removed. And how do we know that? Well, it seems like something that we shouldn't be super excited about, but I think you'll see why it is exciting as we read. This is Revelation 19.3. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now, that seems like a hard text. Now, why should that make me happy? Day and night, forever and ever, as if forever needs more time added to it. But the praise should come because we see a reality of something. The smoke is rising up forever, not as some kind of a sick and twisted gloating over the world system and destruction. It goes up as a constant reminder to praise God because she will never be allowed to seduce us again. Ever. Like, there will be no question to it. Like, she will be completely taken away. She's done. She will be, we will be constantly reminded that her threat is gone. Listen to Isaiah 34, 10. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall ever pass through it forever and ever. We will never pass through this corruption again. I love that. That's a hope, isn't it? Like if you've been in this world very long, you know that should be a hope for us. It's a relief. Again, analogy for you. Imagine that you live in your neighborhood and right next door to you is a man or a woman who is constantly trying to seduce you away from your spouse. Now, you don't want to cheat on your spouse. You love your spouse, but your neighbor, like her, their sole goal is to seduce you away from your spouse. Like you, we'd all be like, man, if we could move, like we'd love to move, but you can't move. You're stuck there. Imagine the relief if that neighbor is removed. Oh, man, it's going to be good. Like I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to fight it anymore. I don't have to engage it anymore. Listen, if you are a believer trying to walk faithfully in this world, you know the weariness that comes from fighting this world. The weariness that comes from fighting the seductions of this world, the brokenness of this world, the sin in this world, like that's never ending for us as Christians. Like we're constantly in that space. The rest that we'll have one day should make us cry out, hallelujah. Like praise the Lord. Like your, your fight is gonna end. My fight is going to end even if heaven sees this, or even heaven sees this, because we see the 24 elders and the four living creatures saying the same thing. They say hallelujah as well. They say amen, let it be. And remember, we talked about the 24 elders and the living creatures, how they represent spiritually all of God's people and all of God's creation. And they see this and they cry out, let it be. But we see in the praises that, we, that, that come in verse 4 or verse 5, Another reminder of why this is such an appropriate response. Because fear will be turned to praise. 19 verse 5. 
Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. All who fear God, small and great, are to praise him. You know, we often see fear as a negative thing, a negative response, especially to God. And yet so oftentimes we see it throughout Scripture. Do you know that the uh, the call to fear God is used almost over 300 times in the Bible? Like, there's two things to this. First, we need to understand that we, right here, right now, are to fear God, to enter his praise. If you want to enter the praise of these moments in Revelation 19, like, we have to fear God. And we often so much try, as the church, to soften this idea. Like, we could go, you know what? The fear of God, it's really just awe and it's respect, that's what the fear of God is. We Absolutely, it's, it's involved in that language. But it's also terror. This is why people, even saved people like John, when they see the holiness of God, what do they do? They fall over like they're dead. Is it just because they respect him? No, it's because they're terrified. They're genuinely terrified because they see the holiness and the power and the might of God. Like there's a genuine fear here and we should have it. Listen, I love my dad dearly. And I know my dad loved me and he, he wanted to sit at the table with me and he wanted to spend time with me and he cared for me. And yes, I absolutely respected his authority, but there was some legitimate fear of my dad too. I knew that if I stepped out of line, he was the one that could bring punishment. Like some legitimate fear. Like we don't need to run away from that. That's not bad. That's good for God's people because God is holy and he is powerful and he is mighty and he hates sin. And we're gonna see next week, man, he's gonna come like a, like a rider on a white horse and that should bring us a healthy level of fear. And this text reminds us and makes us ask the question, do we fear God? Do you? Do I? Or is he just our bestie? I mean, he is our friend. I mean, that's not bad. Like, he's our father. He's our friend. But he's also sovereign and the judge and the king of kings. And we need to fear him. Do we miss the glory and the power that he wields, the strength of his arms, the hatred that he has towards sin and rebellion? We need to examine ourselves. Because if we want to be counted among those who praise him, we have to have a healthy fear of him in this world. But it doesn't stop there, because here's where the hallelujah comes. And the second thing that we need to be mindful of is that at some point, our fear will turn to praise. Because when we stand before him in the linens that he's provided for us, and we see his perfect love for us in Jesus Christ, then what does the scripture say? That perfect love casts out that fear, and I genuinely do not believe we will have that fear in our hearts in the same way that we should now when we're in the new heaven and the new earth. And we should say hallelujah for that. Hallelujah, like we're gonna see him clearly. We're gonna rest in a way none of us can rest right now. We try, we try to abide in his love. Don't we all struggle at times to believe it? Don't you all struggle at times to believe he could really love you or me or like us? Like we all have been in those moments. 
And yet it's real and it's true. And when we see him face to face, man, it's all going to be wiped away. All those questions gone. We'll see him and there will be no fear left. But then we get to the fourth hallelujah. And it's the great anticipation of the feast. Verses six and eight. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And there's so much here that demands praise. Praise of our God, because we look forward to this moment, a moment again where the multitudes are praising him. We see that the Lord, our God, the Almighty, he reigns. Isn't that what we're longing for? Are we waiting for him to reign fully? In a sense, we get it. Like we believe that that's already there. We, we know that it's already present, that he does sit upon the throne, but yet we also see the world and it's broken and we're still waiting. This is the already, not yet. And you say, well, why is he waiting? Is that because he's not powerful or because he's not good? No, it's because he's patient. And the scripture tells us he's waiting so that more and more people that he is not wishing would perish would come to repentance. There was a day that I was not a believer. I'm glad he didn't come when I was not a believer. Amen? I'm glad that he, I'm glad he tarried. I'm glad he waited. Some of you know people that you love dearly right now that don't know Jesus. And you're praying that God tarries in hopes that they will come to see him. Amen? Like, that's what we want. That's not because of lack of power. He's going to finish it all. But there's going to be a time when we see that happen. Look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And again, the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power, bam, and you have begun to reign. And he is tearing, but it will come to an end. This is the same scene. It's over. He has come in his power. He's put an end to all who would oppose him, which means, and this is doubly good for us, the warrior king can now settle down with his bride. Uh, what, what a picture of that. I mean, this is profound. The bridegroom, like, I know, sits upon the throne in this time of waiting for the kingdom of men to become the kingdom of our God and the redeemed, they've now been gathered together for the wedding and it is about to commence. A wedding that you and I don't deserve to be a part of. That's why Revelation 8 says, it was granted to us to be invited to this wedding. Granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Like, we've been granted to that. Our fine linen, it's been given to us. And we have to be faithful to walk in it, amen? And there's a lesson for us here, and it cannot be missed. I'm going to say it twice because this is so important for us. The transformed life is not only the proper response to God's work in us, it is the necessary response to God's work in us. If you believe you can have the grace of God and not be transformed, something is severely wrong with your understanding of the gospel. It is the necessary response 
for God's people to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And if we endure and we walk in his abiding, he has granted us to have the realization of his reign, unhindered, untethered, relational marriage between God and his people. Church, this should demand praise for us. Absolutely demand praise for us. Another text out of Isaiah. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, in Yahweh. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with the beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And go back to my, my ridiculous analogy about action hero movies. Like This is the moment when the action hero walks into the room of the one who was kidnapped and saves her. And he, she sees his love for her on all the bloody scars and exhaustion of his face as he's fought all of the villains and won her freedom. Like This is that moment for us. We're going to see the love of our Redeemer in the nails, that were, the holes that were in his hands and his feet. We're going to see how much he loved us as he has now saved us from these villains. Like that's what this moment is. And he's gonna take us back to our homes, never to be threatened by these villains again, to be and enter into a peace-filled, perfect marriage for all of eternity. New heaven and new earth. Like, hallelujah. Like, praise God for that. Like that, that's, a, that's a command. Like We should praise God for this. We need to understand this. And what a day this is going to be for us as Christians. And, and so here's the thing. When we begin to see Babylon fall and the, that, that enemy removed off the stage, when you begin to see it, as the world begins to mourn, we begin to say, praise God. And we won't mourn with the world because we know what's coming. We know that's the beginning of the end, and we're like, yes, like bring it, like let's go, like end this stuff, bring the end to hopelessness, bring the end to the threat, bring, bring my wedding about with you. Like, this is going to be a beautiful day. This is going to be a good day, and it's a day that, that God has given us to see John as he turns his attention to heaven and sees all of heaven saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, it's coming when you see it. Man, church, this would stir our hearts to praise him. Stir our hearts. Because our Redeemer has finished what he's about, what he's told us he's going to finish. He's about to complete the work. He's about to give us a new heaven and a new earth. So here's what we want to do. We want to end our time with praise. We want to praise him. And here's the thing, we're going to sing songs. Songs is not the only way you can praise him. We're supposed to praise him with our lives. But we can join in with the saints of heaven and say, hallelujah, praise God. Why? Our hopelessness is going to end. The threat is going to be removed forever. Those who fear him, our fear will be turned to absolute joy and praise and abiding in his love. And ultimately, like we will be entering into the marriage. And our warrior king will take off all of his armor and sit down and feast with his bride. And that's going to be a good day. So we want to celebrate. 
And here's what I want to do. I want to encourage us. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? And then I'm going to ask our elders and our pastors, would you guys come up, and prayer counselors, would you come up to the front and maybe instead of standing up at the stage, just sit in these front rows. And that way if someone wants to pray, they can come and talk to you, but you guys can join in and praise the Lord as well. But here's what I want to do. I want us to praise our God. I want us to praise him because we've been told, hallelujah, we need to praise him. From heaven, we're being told to praise him for these things. But I want to say this. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you're in this room and you have not confessed him Lord of your life, you've not laid down everything, you've not repented and believed in Jesus, there's still time. He's not wishing that you should perish. We say this over and over again, we say it all the time, there's only going to be two different categories those who sit with the lamb at the wedding feast and those who are underneath his wrath. And he's made a way so you don't have to be there. And part of what Revelation 19 is pleading is for you to see the hopelessness and to see all the things that are in this world and to see that salvation and glory and power only belong to God. And he's called you to give that to him and to rest in him for that and to put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus, who is the judge, but also our redeemer and our deliverer. And then listen, there is time. I know you probably have a million questions. We all did. But don't walk out of this space today because you don't know if his patience is gonna continue because he could come back any moment. And you could come to meet him at any moment because we know that life is fickle and it is fleeting And so I want to encourage you that as we sing these songs, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to enter into a time of communion and spend time just worshiping our Lord that way. But I want to, if you you want to talk to somebody, our prayer counselors, pastors, they're up here at the front. But we are going to celebrate God because he is good, amen? He is righteous, amen? He is coming, amen? He is going to end hopelessness, amen? He is going to remove the threat from us of the seductions of this world, amen? He is going to bring us into a home in perfect relationship with him. Amen? Let us praise. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the the truths and the realities. This world falls apart and this world collapses underneath wrath and underneath its just own sin and wickedness. Lord, we have the hope. We have the hope of a Savior who reigns for the kingdom of this world is coming to an end and the kingdom of our God, you, is beginning. And you're going to establish it. It's going to be rooted forever. And you invite us to be part of it. Let, us, let, let that joy stir our hearts to praise you, Lord. I pray that you would be blessed and you would be honored in the next couple of moments as you hear the praises of your people. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. And all God's people said, hallelujah. 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 Steve.